the Pirates didn't get no hit. I mean, almost. Wakano hit him for eight innings, but then Colin Moran got a hit to lead off the ninth at St. Louis. The Pirates pulled a crafty move in the bottom of the eighth. The Cardinals batted six men, scored a run, and the Pirates made two pitching changes and two mound visits. So Waka sat in the dugout for like a half hour and maybe got a little cold. Of course, that wasn't intentional on the part of the Pirates. It was just baseball being baseball and the Pirates being the Pirates. The Pirates never had a chance. Ozuna hit a grand slam in the first inning. It was set up by Sean Riguez at shortstop, booting a double play grounder, and that gave the Cardinals two more runs than they should have had. But hey, what do you expect when you start Sean Rodriguez? He might be a Swiss Army knife, but all the blades are dull. Going to talk more about Sean Rodriguez, a lot more about Sean Rodriguez, a little later on today's program. This is the Mark Madden Show. 412-333-WXDX is the number to call or do what the cool kids do and follow me on Twitter at MarkMaddenX. The Pirates are now one game above 500. On May 17, which is just a couple weeks and a couple days ago, the Pirates were 26 and 17. First place in the division. That will wind up being the Pirates' high watermark for the 2018 season because now they suck. And now they're 30 and 29. They're 4 and 12 since May 17. It's not a collapse, not really. It's just water finding its own level. Tonight is game four of the Stanley Cup final. Washington seems poised to win it all. Tonight will be pivotal, unless Game 3 was already pivotal. Cleveland lost again in the NBA Finals. Golden State is up two games to none, and LeBron has one foot out the door in Cleveland. Tiger Woods didn't win again, but the illogical optimism continues. He finished 23rd at the Memorial this past weekend, and people are like, it's inevitable. He will win again. Bruh, he finished 23rd. Who finished 22nd and why can't that guy win? Uh, The Cleveland Browns got better. They signed Michael Kendricks, the outside linebacker. Played inside too. Was on Philadelphia Super Bowl champs this past season. That opening game at Cleveland, that's going to be tricky for your Pittsburgh Steelers. But let's get back to the Pirates. And and, and by the way, the Pirates still have more than their share of cheerleaders and stooges, both among the fans and media, but the cynics and realists are certainly catching up. A lot of people agree with how I talk about the Pirates. For example, attendance at PNC Park is down 15K per game since 2015. So, right there... That's 15,000 people that agree with me. I wrote a column in yesterday's Trib about how insane it is to play Sean Rodriguez so much. Sean Rodriguez is hitting 167 
and he's got the worst slash line. Really bad. And yet he started 36% of the Pirate games. And it was nuts to start Polanco on Thursday and Friday and not Austin Meadows. Meadows won Rookie of the Month in May, and he was only with the Pirates half the month. So you bench him for Polanco, who has a really bad slash line too. And that's stupid. It's like Hurdle is managing a Little League team. He's placating. He's appeasing. He never wants to get a phone call from an irate parent. And I know Polanco got four hits over those two games. That's dumb luck. It's like doubling down on 14 in blackjack and pulling a seven. You won, but it's a dumbass move, and you got lucky. So, after that column got posted, I got all the usual heat on Twitter. Oh, you hit 088 in T-ball. Actually, that's pretty funny. Stick the hockey, fat ass, blah, 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 blah. And people quoted obscure advanced metrics to try and justify having Rodriguez and playing Rodriguez. By the way, that's exactly as I predicted they would do in the column. But again, I know I'm right because the Pirates are plummeting in the standings and attendance is plummeting at the ballpark. And that is all the people need to know. Of course, Sean Rodriguez certainly came in handy yesterday. Started at shortstop, kicked a double play ground ball in the first inning, and the next guy hits the ball out the park. Should have been a two-run homer. Instead, it was a grand slam. So I implore Clint Hurdle, and not for the first time either, Just play your best guys. Meadows in every day until he stops in. Rodriguez never plays. He's the 25th guy. In case of emergency, break glass. Keep Kingham in the rotation. He pitched good yesterday after that first inning disaster of which only two of the runs were earned. I tried to drill down with the splits to see why Polanco started instead of Meadows on Thursday and Friday. On Friday, the pitcher for St. Louis was Miles Mikolas. Mikolas, I don't care how you pronounce it. Before that game, Polanco was 0 for 5 against Mikolas, and Meadows was 2 for 2 against Mikolas. That dictates starting Meadows, but Hurdle started Polanco. Yeah, it's a small sample. But even the small sample pointed to starting Meadows. The big samples did too. All the samples said, play Meadows. So play Meadows every day until he stops hitting. And maybe Polanco can use that idle time to pry his head out of his backside. Uh, Hello, is this sinking in with anybody? Do you understand what I'm saying? If you're a Pirate fan... How can you not agree? Play the best guys. DFA Sean Regas. Bury him on the end of the bench. But he's starting 36% of the time. Absolutely ridiculous. Hurdle postures like he's tough. He's softer than baby excrement. 
softer than baby excrement. Oh, I got to keep all the guys happy. And if I speak in a gruff tone and have a big fat face, then the media will think I'm tough. But I'm just an old softy. Ridiculous. Uh, sad note, Bruce Keeson died over the weekend. I posted a blog about Bruce on the Mark Madden page at WXDX.com. I was very upset to hear of uh, Keeson's passing. Keeson pitched on the Pirate World Championship teams in 1971 and 1979. And he was a big part of a, a big moment in my life. I was 10 years old, 1971, and I just loved the Pirates. I went to 41 games that year. And the last of those games was game four of the World Series at Three Rivers Stadium. The first night game in World Series history. Uh, Luke Walker started for the Pirates, and he got killed. Baltimore led 3-0 after the first half inning, before the Pirates even batted. And Bruce Geeson came in, a rookie, 21 years old, 6'4", 180, skinny as a rail, threw crazy, scary sidearm. And Bruce Geeson handcuffed Baltimore for six and a third. One hit, and he drilled three Orioles. Geeson would have drilled Anthony Rizzo last week, I can guarantee you that. Geeson hit Frank Robinson right in the nuts with the pitch. Kapow! Hall of Famer, right in the nads. Bruce Keeson was a badass, a, a real competitor, and I will remember what he did that night as long as I live. Bruce Keeson wasn't scared of anything, not the situation, not the score, and not the Orioles. Uh, the Pirates won that game 4-3, even the series two games each, very pivotal moment, and of course went on to win the World Series in seven games when another gutsy competitor, uh, Steve Blass, pitched a complete game four hitter in that final game. A and then, a few years later, Keeson drilled Mike Schmidt, Phillies, big home run hitter. And Schmidt was walking to first base, and he said, if you ever do that again, I'm coming out there after you. And Keeson said, what's wrong with right now? And Schmidt was a big guy, but Keeson held his own Schmidt broke a finger in the fight, and that was appropriate because I bet Bruce Keeson had just the finger for him. I wish Bruce Keeson was a pirate now. Right now. He could help a ton. So Bruce Keeson, uh, rest in peace. 412-333-9939. We got Tim Benz at 3.30, and we got Steve Mears, Penguins play-by-play -play man, doing some work for the NHL Network at the Stanley Cup Finals. That's at 4.30. I'm Mark Madden, 105.9 X. And now, the super genius, Mark Madden. Konnichiwa, bitches. Konnichiwa. Hi, Marco. I have some important questions for you. That right there, my friend, that's asking for trouble. The X at 105.9. I was on Channel 11 last night for the final word, the 11.30 show, and I was bitching about Polanco having started Thursday and Friday at St. Louis. And I quoted Polanco's batting average, and Dejan Kovacevic said, well, it's not 1945 anymore, because I quoted batting average. It's an outdated stat. So I gave Dejan an earful, because Polanco's on-base percentage sucks too, and his slugging percentage sucks too. But that's what Pirate Stooges do, and I hate to lump Dejan in, but that's what he was last night. They just keep going down the list of stats, for a player, 
until they find one that works for them. Like Polanco, Sean Rodriguez too. It's like bad number, bad number, bad number, bad number, bad number. Aha! Here's a number that works, and that's why he's playing. Dazon finally said, well, Gregory Polanco hits well at St. Louis. And Polanco hits okay at St. Louis. He's hitting 270. But whatever strategy Clint Hurdle had that was specific to St. Louis did not work because the Pirates lost three out of four at St. Louis. So again, I say, just play your best players. Meadows should have started every game at St. Louis. Managers overcomplicate the job. Just play your best players. It's more important to win than it is to keep trying to prod Polanco into being a good player, which is exactly what they're trying to do when they play Polanco when they shouldn't, and Polanco hasn't been a good player for five months. I'm told batting average is meaningless. Oh, it's not 1945 anymore. Well, Polanco was hitting 210 over the last five months. That wasn't good in 1945, and it's not good today. 412-333-9939. Game four is tonight. Stanley Cup final. Vegas at D.C. The Caps won 3-1 on Saturday. Game three is almost always a significant result. And right now, it feels like Vegas is in trouble. It feels like Washington has found an extra gear, and Vegas has maybe, finally, run out of gas. Kuznetsov played. He was hurt, but he played, and he scored. Ovechkin scored. Hope he played well again, except for that terrible turnover that gave Vegas its one goal. How about that reverse hit by James Neal on Brooks Orpik, who did not return? I picked Vegas in six, and I'm not backing off. But Vegas hasn't faced a ton of adversity this year, which is hard to believe with an expansion team. Heck, this is Vegas' first two-game losing streak in these playoffs. So let's see how they handle it. I see game four tonight as must-win for Vegas. I don't see Vegas rallying from down three games to one. In fact, if memory serves, that's only been done once in the history of the Stanley Cup Final. This might be Alexander Ovechkin's time. It just might be Ovi's time, and I do not begrudge. Nobody who ain't yet won a cup deserves to win one more. Now, I don't want the porn girl to win it. I don't want the washed-up ESPN girl to win it. I don't want DC to finally have a banner that matters. But if Ovi wins, that won't bother me. Ovi scored in game two. Washington won. That's not coincidence. Ovi scored in game three. Washington won. That's not coincidence. Meantime, the Penguins haven't traded anyone yet, let alone Kessel. I think there's a moratorium on trades uh, till the Stanley Cup Finals over. If not formal, then informally. Did you ever think, and I hate to, and I don't, but I force myself, maybe the Penguins' run is over because the core guys are all 30, except for Matt Murray. If the run is over, this core did not underachieve. Three cups, not bad. 
But I don't think it's over. I feel like there's one more big run left in this group. Now, you know the smart thing to do, long run, might be to trade some of the stars for draft picks and kids to reload. Reload before you have to. Obviously not Crosby, obviously not Malkin, but reload before you have to. But after this group's won three cups, that doesn't feel like the right thing to do, so go for it with these guys. Had they won two cups, had they won in 16 but not 17, I feel like that would be the strategy pursued, trading a star, maybe even Malkin, had they not won in 16 and 17, to reload. But go for it with these guys and then maybe finish last for a while. That's obviously a proven way to reload. Well proven around here. 412-333-9939. Up next, he is a columnist for the trip, just like me. And we'll be talking about how the Pirates suck, and they do suck. And I keep seeing people on Twitter, oh, well, you pick on the Pirates. I'm never going to listen to your show again. Good, don't listen. They suck. What do you want me to do? Not say they suck when they suck? Not say Rodriguez sucks when he sucks? Not say Polanco sucks when he sucks? Not say Hurdle sucks when he sucks? I'm not going to stop saying they suck because they suck. Tim Ben's up next, 105.9. Next. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. Super genius, big fan, big fan. you got to be a big timer to get on this show. Double M, huge fan. Raise the Jolly Rancher. The X at 105.9. Joining me now, he's a columnist at the Trib, and also you can hear him on the Steelers radio network. We welcome Tim Benz. Tim, why has Sean Rodriguez started 36% of the Pirates games? Can there possibly be a good reason? The only reason that I can think of is Clint Hurdle hasn't figured out a way to put him in 50% yet, or else he would have, and for no good reason. Um, I don't know, Mark. He seems to be wed to the notion of, I'd like to get a guy in there who can do a bunch of things, even if he can't do a bunch of things all that well. He used to be able to rely on him for being good defensively wherever he was to overcome whatever deficiencies he might have with the bat, but... You know, as you and I have discussed uh, over Trib Live on a couple of occasions, they have other guys who can do that and perhaps more effectively, so why not lean on them instead and give other guys a chance to work their way back in the lineup? Well, I think Hurdle gets a preconceived notion of what a guy is. Or maybe it's not preconceived. Maybe he sees how a guy establishes himself you know, in, in earlier days and just sticks to that notion, how he did then as opposed to how he's currently doing. that That's the only logical thing I can come up with when it comes to playing Rodriguez as much as he does. Right, and I think we've all spent a lot of time watching his at-bats since his injury that he suffered when he went to the Braves and has since come back to the Pirates and have placed all sorts of emphasis on onus and onus on how he's doing at the plate ever since coming back from those injuries as opposed to the field. And I, I don't know if he's fielding as well. His reaction time, his athleticism is quite as good overall since he got hurt in that car accident, particularly from what we've seen this year. And, you know, when you've got Adam Frazier, who's capable of playing just about anywhere on the diamond, if you've got a guy in Josh Harrison for now anyway, who's capable of that as he's come back from injury, as you've got David Freeze, who's good to play on either corner in the infield, the need to have uh, Sean Rodriguez worked in there to the tune of and I'll go out there on that limb with you, Mark. A 167 batting average, even though apparently it's 1945, 
uh, I'm okay with going down to 1945 when it's that low. You don't need to do that. You don't need to shoehorn him in all that much when you have other guys who can play those roles. Why did Polanco start Thursday and Friday in St. Louis and not Meadows? Because if there's a good reason, I can't see it, and I've certainly looked pretty hard for it. Yeah, well, sarcasm aside to my point on Rodriguez, I think we all know the real reason here is they brought him back and they're trying to justify the expense. And I think there's a justification in a different way. Maybe it is expense because they did sign Polanco to a contract, but it's investment in Polanco. Uh, they are, and I think led to this notion that if they were going to succeed this year, there were certain things that just had to go right. And some of those things going right were guys who are young, who were supposed to take the next step in their development, namely Tyon, Vasquez, Bell, and Polanco. And those four guys, to me, uh, the fact that they haven't consistently put it together this year, they're the main reason why this team has fallen back towards the 500 level. And Polanco, chief among them, because he was a big reason why they were scoring runs early. He's been a big reason why guys have been left on base or rallies have failed to start of late. Tim, though, when you're a marginal playoff contender, which is what the Pirates are at best, they marginal playoff contender. Don't you just have to play your best players? Isn't that the only way for the Pirates to have a chance? Yeah, and right now, you know, they're kind of in a spot, and it's interesting to me that, you know, for a team that is so big on pushing development and who the next big young star is going to be, they're in a rare spot here where development is in line with who's playing the best. You know, like if you look at Kingham, who after that first inning was pretty good yesterday, if you look at Austin Meadows overall, and he's, I think, the example you're getting at more than anybody, Mark, uh, and maybe Colin Moran to a degree, too, but that's the guy, Meadows, that you want to be putting in there. Not only is he hot, but you're also giving people what they want to see, the next big thing, especially in the wake of McCutcheon's departure. He's playing well, and you're getting his development track started. Now, maybe they don't like that because then he's just all the close to free agency, but you know, you, you got to bite the bullet and go with this kid. He's up anyway. You might as well play him. Well, and don't you think, especially when stuff like gets gets discussed by Pirates, Stooges, and, and Shills, that they, they treat it like you're talking about it with an air of finality that, that I am not. I'm not saying bench Polanco forever. I'm saying play Meadows while Meadows is hot. If he never stops hitting, that's good. When he stops hitting, give Polanco a shot. Same thing with Kingham. Keep him in the rotation until he proves he doesn't belong there. But right now, when I say play the best guys, I mean the best guys currently, and there are two of those. Oh, 100%. You can throw Dickerson into that mix too, right? Keep right, playing right. Him too often gets sat. I know they want to play lefty-lefty, but Polanco's a lefty too. I mean, just so much of what Hurdle is doing doesn't make sense. And, Tim, I've concluded, despite that gruff exterior, he's soft. He's like a little league coach who never wants to get a call from an irate parent. Everybody well, a, gets yeah, to play. Yeah, there's a little, there's a little of Tomlin in him too, right? As far as wanting to be uh, in good with the players and trying to. Oh, reward he's the a players. BS artist in a nutshell. Yeah, and, you know he spins a he spins a fun phrase like Tomlin does, and you know they have that going for him positively, but also sometimes negatively, where I think they buy into their own stuff too much. And look, I'll give you two games or two guys, Mark, that speak exactly the point that you're discussing, like Zach Duke and Chris Duffy. Right, remember those guys, they came up, and Zach Duke was Rookie Pitcher of the Year, and I think Chris Duffy didn't he bat like 300 or something when he first came up, 326, he was stealing all sorts of bases, and they looked like they had found something. Just ride them out. Like, play them while they're hot, get the most out of them, and if they come back to earth like Meadows might, then so be it. But, you know, I keep going back to Dickerson to go to the point that you were talking about with all the sabermetricians who are giving you a hard time about mentioning Sean Rodriguez's batting average. 
You don't hear a lot of them throwing out 313 for Corey Dickerson right about now, do you? <laughs> well, I don't know, Tim, maybe back in 1945. We're talking to Tim Benz <laughs> from the Trib here on the Mark Madden Show. Uh, and the Pirates are definitely fading. I, I think they've hit their high watermark for sure. And they've lost now 12 out of 16. And it's weird because it's something different going wrong depending on the day. For example, the Pirates have hit all year, and yesterday they almost get no hit. When you lose by method of it's always something, that's when you're really in trouble. That's doing whatever it takes to lose. Yeah, and of those guys that I rattled off that needed to be better and take that next step, the one guy I neglected to mention was Vasquez, uh, formerly Felipe Rivero. You know, the guy who wants to play the DJ in the locker room when they win, but also acts like a record scratch whenever he comes out of the bullpen these days because he stops the party. And you know what? If they had managed to win some of the games where he blew saves, then maybe this bad stretch that they're on isn't quite as bad because they've broken up a couple of those four-game series with a victory or they get a series victory as opposed to losing two out of three, he was supposed to be a given. Like, you know, a couple things that Pirates fans wanted to advance as a given this year, the improvement of Tyon to an ace, the improvement of Bell and Polanco to all-star fringe guys at the least, if not really emerging bright young players. Uh, Rivero in the all-star game, now Vasquez in the all-star game as a shutdown, lockdown closer, and we haven't been able to count on any of those four things. Attendance is down and the team is fading. How will ownership and management react? Because they usually do. Yeah, they're not going to react by throwing money at payroll at the end of the sea, at the end of the trade deadline and bring people back to the park. It's not going to be that. Uh, I think they'll trim. Uh, I think they'll try to make the numbers match. And I think it's going to be less than pretty. And I think they're having an easier time towards doing that insofar as like we just talked about, some of the guys who are making a bigger ticket right now, Cervelli, the lone outlier perhaps, um, they are going to be able to say, well, you know, Josh Harrison just wasn't performing and had been a little bit injured and somebody else needed a middle infielder. And, uh, you know, maybe Cervelli they sell high because Diaz has been pretty decent behind him when he's got an opportunity. You can use that as a reason why to sell the catcher who's been playing pretty well. Uh, you know, David Freeze is another guy that comes to mind that they might be able to move for a similar logic, for a similar rationale. Um, and, and Sean Rodriguez falls in the mix, too. I know everybody loves him. He's Serpico. He's a fan favorite. He had a big home run when he came back. But it's easier to uh, give him to somebody else who just needs a utility glove if he can't hit for pennies on the dollar return just to shed the payroll. Tim, uh, moving to the Penguins, uh, there's talk about trading Phil Kessel. Where are some possible destinations? Well, I looked at uh, Sportsnet report uh put that in the trip today and talked about some of the destinations that they threw out there. Pierre LeBron and the athletic came up with a good one. I thought Los Angeles made sense. That's a good team out West where you're not going to be penalized by trading him in conference or in division. It needs offense. It needs power play help. They were right in the middle of the pack in both of those regards this year. If they're a little bit better offensively, maybe they get the second or third round of the playoffs again. Maybe they're able to, I don't know, fend off Vegas or whoever they get next year. If they're in the middle of the pack, I think it's a little bit more offensive punch from a guy like Bill Kessel. Uh, so that one makes sense. Um, he could be a small fish in a big pond. I think Phil likes that. Uh, another opportunity for me to see as a trade partner would be Arizona, especially if there are interests in Max Domi. That might be a little blown out of proportion. But, hey, Tockett is there. And, you know, for Phil, there's nothing more anonymous than being an Arizona Coyote, right? So that one would make sense to me. And uh, Vegas, if they don't keep – 
Perron and Neal, they're going to need some wing scoring help. Boy, I don't know how he would get along with Gallant and play in a system like that. But Carlson, as you have noted on a couple of occasions, Mark, I think his goal scoring is flukishly high this year. Maybe he's best served by having somebody on a wing that he could set up. Uh, those two perhaps could partner well together. And I wouldn't rule out Vegas. And by the way, there's more than one casino out there. Phil spends a lot of time at Rivers. He can spread the wealth around Vegas if we were to be traded there. Jim Rutherford, the GM, he said the Penguins don't need to trade Kessel. But he also didn't say they weren't going to. I think it's very clear that they're trying to. But that said, I think it's going to be hard to do just given, boy, a whole bunch of different reasons. Phil's quirkiness, how much he costs, how long he's signed, a whole bunch of things will probably keep it from happening. Yeah, I think the, how long he's signed versus how much he costs. Yeah, how much it, how much is it onerous? But it, he signed through, I think, 2022, and, and yeah. that's a long time. Yeah, I think the, the length more so than the raw dollars at this point because you have to trade and spend a lot to get goals now. So 6.8 to me doesn't seem to be that big of a deal. But the length, you know, especially once he does get an injury or two and this Ironman streak of his does end, um, maybe it, it hits in a big way on Kessel. That could be the case. But, uh, you know, to, to your earlier point about where other destinations may be, I, I do dismiss some of the other ones that the Sportsnet report put out there. Uh, they included New Jersey and Columbus. They're not going to trade him in division right now. I can't see that happening. And I also don't really see him uh, saying, okay, you can wave. I-, I can't imagine Calgary is one of the eight teams he'd say okay to. And that name has come up quite a bit. Even Minnesota. I don't know how Phil would be about going back to a hockey-crazed uh, place like Minnesota. We know that he kind of likes to operate in the background a bit. And he would be full on display if he went to the wild. So I, I dismiss those options. Are the Capitals going to win the Stanley Cup? For the first time, they really seem in control of this series, don't they? Yeah, I said and, and Tim, uh, not, Vegas, not just being up two games to one, but they they seem to have found another gear. Yeah, and you said Vegas in six, right? Yeah, and I'm not backing off because you just don't do that. But uh, now I think it's probably going to go seven. But, boy, the Capitals, like I said, right now they're in control. Yeah, I said Vegas in seven. I will back off. Washington's changed my mind. Uh, I think they're really good offensive zone a really good offensive zone team. They're good on the rush. Uh, they have done a much better job at quelling Vegas after they score a goal than other teams have. You know how Vegas has had this magic touch of scoring right away within a minute or two after the other team gets a goal? Well, they've fended off Vegas from doing that in a lot of cases or answered back Vegas goals on their own to maintain a lead so that Vegas can't get over the hump and force overtime or something to that effect. Uh, I actually think, Mark, I don't know how you feel about it. I thought Marc-Andre Fleury's best game in the finals was game three, and he still was outdone by Braden Holtby. And and to me, that's a concern if you're a Vegas fan. Uh, have some overreacted to Ben and Antonio Brown not being at very many OTAs? Uh, you heard what Reggie Bush said. Uh, when you consider the legitimate turmoil that the Steelers have functioned in uh, over the past couple seasons, this seems kind of fictional. Yeah, I don't care that any of the three of them are not there. I just look at some people who want to bash Lev Bell individually for not being there and then say, well, what about the other two? And Bell has done plenty of other things to bring criticism upon him, like his constant quest to turn himself into a persecuted figure, which is a joke. He's turning down $15 million a year for crying out loud. Uh, you know, his actions when it comes to not only how he's negotiated, but the way he's presented his feelings of being misrepresented, whether it be in tweets or rap lyrics, or whatever, that's where you come down on Lev Bell. But 
don't you can't differentiate between saying, well, Lev isn't there and that's a problem. And say, oh, it's okay for Ben and AB. Well, actually, it's less for Bell because he doesn't even have a contract yet. And I'm not Ben. I, I happen to think, Mark, that this is you know a lot of football in shorts and nothing else. Um, well, and Tim, it, I think as long as they're optional, which they are, you can't criticize anyone who's not there. Yeah, and you know what? I brought this up to Ramon Foster and wrote about it in the Trib uh, last week. Um, you know, I asked, as a player rep, do you want to see these things go away? And he said, I don't think we'll ever get there because there's too many veterans that want them, basically, was the message that he gave. That, you know, this is great for the rookies to show their wares, but then the coaches fall in love with the rookies and sometimes fringe veterans, like, say, you know, on this team, for instance, like a Stephen Ridley or a Cody Sensabaugh. Like, those guys have to remind the coaches they can still... And now, the super genius, Mark Madden. Hey, Mark, great show as always. When you got a young trophy wife, owes money to... I can't even quote the Big Lebowski right. Goodbye. The X at 105.9. Tiger Woods finished 23rd at the Memorial. Woohoo! 23rd! Yay, Tiger! Go, Tiger! And now all the deal hole experts are saying, with great gravitas, his game is getting there. He will win again. It's just a matter of time. I don't know how you conclude that when Tiger finished 23rd, six strokes back, and putted like a drunk using a broom to play putt-putt. You wouldn't conclude that about any other golfer who did that, as I said earlier. Tiger finished 23rd. People are guaranteeing victory for him not too far down the road. What about the guy who finished 22nd? Or the guy who finished 21st? But hey, okay. Tiger's going to win again. It's inevitable. Go ahead. Keep telling yourself that. He is striking the ball very well. You hear that crap a lot. No Quarter brought to you by CW Electrical Services. Helping you build the right way since 1956. Uh, Def Leppard and Journey were brilliant Saturday night at PPG Paints Arena. Uh, Joe Elliott's voice, uh, the singer in Leopard, that's the best he sounded in years. And that Ariel Panada from Journey just killed it. The place was packed, absolutely packed. It's great music and a loyal audience. Joe Elliott kept talking about playing the Stanley Theater in 1980. And uh, Def Leppard were there in 1980, opening for Judas Priest and Scorpions. And then again in 1981, opening for Ozzy Osbourne on Ozzy's first solo tour. And then a month later, again, sandwiched between Blackfoot and the Granati Brothers. Uh, So it's always great to hear uh, Joe Elliott acknowledge that. Uh, Leopard have had a great career, big sellers, and they beat cancer and death and amputation. And it's the same guys. And they stuck together. You've got to admire that. Whether you like their music or don't, you absolutely have got to admire that. And with so many of the groups now disappearing, you know, Black Sabbath retired, UFO has one more tour, Motley Crue's gone. It's somehow comforting to hear Joe Elliott say at the end of the concert, until next time, and there will be a next time. That's like Mick Jagger. 
Every time Jagger's in town and the Stones play one of the stadiums, he always says, with just real dismissal. People say this will be the Stones' last show in Pittsburgh. I don't think so. I think the Stones are going to do it until somebody dies. And you know what? They might not. Especially Keith. If Keith Richards isn't dead by now, he may not be dying. Uh, I was at Primanti Brothers in Harmerville yesterday. That's my home field for Primanti's. Harmerville, right off 28, right by Schultz Ford. And there was an elderly couple there. Older than me. I'm talking 70s. And this old lady, she got a Primanti sandwich. Full size, piled high. And she attacked it like she was killing Nazis at Omaha Beach. Good for her. It was inspirational. There were fries and slaw flying everywhere, and this old lady's right in the middle of it. Again, I respect that. I really do. 412-333-9939 is the number to call. We're going to talk more about the uh, disaster that is Sean Rodriguez, how he's embarrassing himself with his play this year, how the Pirates should be embarrassed for having him on the roster, let alone uh, starting him as often as they do. And uh, again, uh, I get a lot of criticism for criticizing the Pirates. And for a really popular guy like Rodriguez, who don't forget has a bobblehead night coming up. 167 hitter, bobblehead night. Yeah, that makes sense. But I'm telling you, the biggest story with the Pirates is the dropping attendance. Down 15K per game from 2015. That's the big story. Very few are addressing that, but you're going to have to when management reacts to it. They'll trade Harrison for sure, and they might go further than that because let me tell you, the hillbilly prince is going to make what he thinks he should make and will do anything he has to do, cut any corner he has to, to make it. I'm Mark Madden, 105.9 The X.